Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlife podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 148, two shows in two weeks. It's a goddamn <laughs> miracle. Who are we and what do we know with ourselves? It's almost like we have some clue what we're doing. <laughs> we what? do We do not. No. We have no, no clue what we're doing, but... Oh, yes. Two shows in two weeks. The backup recorder is on, just in case there's static again. I, I apologize for that last week. I don't, I don't know what's causing that. Gremlins. <laughs> it happens once in a while, but we've got a completely different output into a completely different recorder, so uh, hopefully my bringing it up only... Uh, irritates people who then go back and listen <laughs> for the static in the last five minutes of last week's show, but okay. hopefully one way or the other this means that it will not happen. So, yeah. Two shows in two weeks, and I'm actually reasonably excited. Because it's weird. It's it's two shows where we don't have a particular topic. There's another one where we're basically just going to talk about a few books from the week, because there was no huge comics news. Nah, Joss Whedon did something like stupid and Apparently exploited some girl with cancer, but other than that, wait, what? I, I didn't, excuse me. <laughs> I didn't click on the link because I, I didn't want to see whatever dumb thing Joss did. Is was this the Joss did something dumb and is now taking a a Twitter break? <laughs> oh, this is the Twitter thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If I remember correctly, he made some joke about Paul Ryan. Uh, it was a picture of Paul Ryan with a couple of women, and the joke was, oh, Paul Ryan hands out the president's Not a Ten Award, and it turns out these women were on Capitol Hill or at the White House or something telling courageous stories of surviving cancer or something. So with the complete context, it was, yes, terribly offensive (laughs) for the people who were involved with it. Uh, so, yes, it was certainly not exploiting women. That's not a thing that you can throw onto a podcast that's going on the public internets without context. That's that's kind of... I didn't read the article. I, didn't, I mean, <laughs> certainly I don't want to throw around the word slander, <laughs> particularly not in a way that it could apply to us. So that's the context as I remember it. I think reading it last night drunk, so even that I probably fucked up. So, so, so wait, Joss did something stupid and is now taking a Twitter break. <laughs> Don't say anything else until we talk to a lawyer. <laughs> this is going to be the most boring episode ever, but yes, we should stop speaking until we seek legal re- representation. But yes, that that's the context, as I recall it. <laughs> Joss did something stupid and is now taking a Twitter break. Yes, okay. okay. Did something stupid on Twitter, said something... Ooh, we're going to have a hard time. Uh, <laughs> so, yes, it's just going to be an episode mostly about comics because, yeah, the big thing from the week, and it wasn't very exciting, was uh, the hotel sales the, through the convention for San Diego Comic-Con 2017 were this past Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And as we said in last week's show, we're going for the first time in three years. So this is the first time I had to do the hotel sales. And I had been concerned because when they sent the directions, it looked like things were radically different. Back in the day, the way they did hotel sales was unlike when you go into the waiting room and just sit there for an hour and then you randomly get a number uh, and see if you get a session or not. Back in the day for the hotel, it just went online at straight up noon. And at that point, it's literally a race of how quickly you can tape, uh, type rather, or copy or paste. Yes. It's you have to... Put in your 
up to six, not more than six, <laughs> up to six hotel choices. And the number of the picks shall be six, <laughs> none more than six. Yes, you could do less, and then you have to check off. Uh, and if I don't get anything, I'm okay with something just downtown or something out by the the airport. And here are the names and addresses of everybody involved. And and it was it, it's literally a race game because it was always first come, first served. And you would get a hotel or not. And if you got in... After the first five minutes, if you got your information in after, say, 12.05, you had no hope. Right. People would say, oh, I got a Friday night hotel, and that's a little difficult when you're doing Wednesday through Sunday. Right. So we already have a backup hotel. We already have something booked and reserved. It's not optimal, but we've got a place to sleep. So this is purely can we get close to the hotel and not even necessarily save any money. Because when you yeah. talk to the hotels that are close to the convention center, they're certainly cheaper than they would be if you just walked up to the front <laughs> desk. And booked it. During Comic-Con and tried to book a room. Uh, it would be cheaper to buy a place, yeah. pay the mortgage all year, and just go there during Comic-Con, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Uh, so I was concerned it was going to be different this year because they said there's a waiting room. And I'm like, oh, shit. Well, because we've got one or two tricks that we think skews the results a little bit in our favor. We're not going to talk about them. Well, yeah, no, not at this point, just in case. I feel a little safer. If you run into us at Comic-Con, I'll tell you. Because <laughs> ultimately, it's not like, you know, oh, here's a simple trick that if you log in using Chrome and have your left foot on a sponge and allow electric current to gently go through your testicle, it's not like that. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> what do you do on Wednesday when I'm not home? <laughs> it's, I've earned this private time. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I was concerned. Oh, it's a waiting room. It's going to be random. Well, yeah, noon happened in the waiting room. And as opposed to the blue circle of failure that you get with actual comic-con sales this it, it had a little literally a line and it would turn green with a dude walking in the front of it and mm. it, it took less than 15 seconds to go from okay you've got a place in line to you're putting your stuff in mm. so i don't think it's it, it didn't seem like it was ran maybe i was just extraordinarily lucky maybe i was maybe i was number one in line maybe. and it was just completely transparent to me although i looked on twitter and a lot of people said yep got my stuff in by 1203 which is about what i did because i was out of practice Mm. My record for getting stuff in, I think, is about 150 seconds. Wow. This one, I think it took me three minutes, so 180, 210. Okay. So I feel pretty good about what we did. <laughs> I feel like we might not be sleeping on a park bench mm. outside of the convention center to take naps so that we can function during the day. We could just sleep in the Hall H line. <laughs> I would rather die. <laughs> I, I would rather be beaten unconscious and left for dead in the bail bonds district. All right, let's not do that. <laughs> I don't want to sleep in the Hall H line. <laughs> Have you never Comic Coned before? That's for <laughs> that's for children and the slow. And suburban soccer mommy is looking for Team Edward. Yeah, that's not fair to say. It's if that's your priority to spend all day in a six thousand seat room so that you can argue you're in the same room as Tom Holland for some reason. <laughs> more power to you. Enjoy it. Good luck. We're there for the comics. I don't, yeah. don't want to say I don't care about that stuff. I don't care about that stuff enough to spend eight hours on, on, in a tent city. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what is it, Firefest? Yeah, we, we could go to the Firefest. Yeah. Actually, no, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just get off the plane and <laughs> sleep in a tent. 
like a FEMA savage tent. FEMA tent. <laughs> Not just any tent. Yeah, the, the, only the finest disaster relief tents for <laughs> Ja Rule or Ja Rule. I don't know. I don't I'm know. a rock and roll guy. Not a That guy who ran yeah, that thing. That dude that from that thing where, where people couldn't get a sandwich. <laughs> So yeah, that's done. The The hell of doing hotels is you don't find out right away. So you put your stuff in, and yeah, we're not going to find out until at least uh, tomorrow is when people start finding out, mm. May, uh, May 1st, to give an idea when we're taping this. <laughs> uh, so that'll actually be the day we go live, or May 8th. But it's uh, yeah, it feels kind of low risk, because you can book hotels in the greater downtown San Diego area directly. Yeah. They're still expensive. And it would mean you've got to, you know, Uber, take a cab in. Although I think our backup actually is on the shuttle route if everything fails. Yeah, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, if you if for a couple of years we were at the uh, the Hilton right next door to the convention center, and if you've walked the floor for even a couple hours, man, it's nice to be able to just hang a right and be in your hotel room to shower off the funk. Well, sometimes it's just collapse. nice in between things. Like if if your panels are going to be a while from each other, and and you don't have the energy to be on the floor to know that you can go back and sit for a half hour out of the crowds is it it really spoils you yeah i mean for a long time we stayed at a place uh, that was our preferred uh, hotel about a mile away from the convention center which was convenient enough and you could even you know walk there if you had to It, it was pushing it a little bit but you could but yeah you can go back so if you had anything in between panels you wanted to see you were walking the floor yeah and walking the floor it it's like walking on lava in a video game. Your health meter just drops. It's fun, <laughs> and there's always something to look at, but you stutter walk. I've said it a million times on this show to friends. You stutter walk like you're trying not to attract a sandworm. Pretty much. So Because there's just people all around you, and it is a constant, if you're not there by yourself, <laughs> we, we, you and I set up the, the sequence of you're in front of me, and I keep an eye on you, and I keep you in sight, but occasionally I have to yell out and put a hand up, and you have to stop, because inevitably people get in between us, and Amanda, you're, you're quick and crafty. I'm you good at f- shooting the gap. Yeah, she finds little holes in the crowd and shoots through, and will immediately gain 15 feet on me, and I'm a big lumbering <laughs> dolt who's hung over all the time, and I just... <laughs> If I tried to do that, it would be assault, <laughs> possibly battery. So it's a cut, Amanda. And then she's got to stop, and I shuffle up. So yeah, it, just, it sucks the life out of you. It's fun, and there's spectacle in every direction. I yes. still highly recommend it, but you know, particularly if you're going on a five day pass by about Saturday morning. Yeah, if it's a couple hours until the until the DC Rebirth panel. It's not a terrible thing to be able to say, uh, you know what, let's let's go catch an episode of Cash Cab <laughs> back at the hotel and regroup a little bit. Yes. So it'd be nice to get one close by, but if everything fails... Uh, we, we'll be fine. Exactly. We will survive. At least the hotel we booked has free internet. This is true. So we'll be able to get episodes up. So we'll see what happens. I mean, the only other big thing this week is in no way news. We finally fucking saw X-Men Apocalypse. Yeah. Which, hung over on a Saturday morning. Yeah, which we were not... I've always liked the X-Men movies, but X-Men are not my jam mm. uh, in in the same way like Avengers or Spider-Man is. And yeah, it didn't get really good reviews when it was coming out, and it didn't feel like there was a lot of hype behind it. And Apocalypse is not my favorite villain. So even though, yeah, uh, X-Men movie placed in the 80s 
with just Generation X should be Nostalgia City. We just never bothered to get to it. And even Days of Future Past, I liked it, but it was it was all right. We don't have it on Blu-ray. Yeah. Although I wish I did because, it, yeah, it turns out yeah, we grabbed it off cable and it sat there for two or three weeks and we finally watched it yesterday. It was really better than it got credit for. Yeah. Well, I think part of the issue, though, is when you looked at the production stills that they sent out, the character design for Apocalypse is just so ridiculous. You're like, really? There's well, no way that that character could be menacing. <laughs> well, he looked a lot like he did in the comic book. And yeah. he looked ridiculous in the comic book. Blue with metal dreads. Yeah, I may have the first appearance of Apocalypse because I was getting X Factor when it first came out. Yeah. Because at the time, yeah, I was in high school. I worked at a supermarket that had a spinner rack. And most of the comics that I bought, I bought off the spinner rack to read during my break. Yeah. And I'd bring them home for my stupid supermarket bag boy job. So I had a lot of those early X-Factors. And then again, I may not, because even by issue five, which I think was the first appearance, the novelty of, oh, it's the original X-Men it had kind of worn off. Yeah. You know, as it's already wearing off in X-Men Blue, <laughs> which issue two, we're not talking about this week, but it's like, okay, yeah, it's the original X-Men. I get it. And then I, I remember, as I did with X-Factor, it's like, <laughs> you know what? I'm just not the biggest X-Men fan. <laughs> even though this is a decent jumping on point, eh, I'm not sure... <laughs> Then that's that's valid. Even if there's seats on the bandwagon, uh, you know what? Maybe I'll just walk. <laughs> That'll be fine. Gotta catch a different bus. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's a new actors in everything, and I thought everybody was generally engaging. Even a what's her face, Sansa, Sophie, Sophie Turner, Sophie Turner, who really got savaged in the reviews. Is it? Oh, she's wooden. I thought she was fine for it because the way they were playing Jean Grey, at least in this first one, was that she was you know, guarded and introverted and kept to herself because everybody was afraid of her. So you can be wooden and have that play. Yeah. So in the next one, whatever it is, Supernova that's, or something. That's at least the working title. Uh, yeah, the, the code word for, I guess they're moving toward Dark Phoenix far too quickly based on what we saw in Apocalypse. So it appears that's where they're moving. Yeah. Yeah, it's... No, she seemed fine for it. Yeah, I, I forget the name of the kid who played Cyclops, but he was really like the first Cyclops who I didn't want to just stab in front of his friends and loved ones. He'll get there. Assuming I could find any friends and loved ones for Cyclops. <laughs> He'll get there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's event. Cyclops is a rules lawyer. Yeah. And it's hard to... And that's part of the core of his character from the early days. I don't know how you strip that out of the character and have it still be Cyclops. Yeah, no, I mean, it, when he starts to not be that way, then he's just vain and peacocking, which is why he was even worse when he became a member of the Phoenix Five. Yeah, and and that's the role of his brother, Havoc, yeah. who was in Supernova, and did not Supernova, in Apocalypse, and did not make it to the end, spoilers, Seemingly, yeah. <laughs> uh, because nobody gives a fuck about Havoc. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was better than I got credit for. And even though it's yeah, that I'm not sure what the hell else to talk about it at this point. It, it was like, nice. Uh, the, the Wolverine cameo was nice. I wasn't aware that he was ooh, in that. Yeah, spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> Wolverine's in it. Um, <laughs> which yeah, I wasn't expecting it. I should have. They would. Everybody involved in X Men would bring Hugh Jackman in, even for the 20 seconds he's in first class. Right. Uh, I wasn't expecting again spoilers. The full on. Weapon X treatment where it, uh, even that, while it was kind of cool, it's like, oh, I would, didn't expect it coming even though I should have. Mm. That kind of beggared suspension of disbelief. It's, you know, okay, we're going to bring Stryker in for apparently no reason 
to kidnap people, and it turns out the only reason is so that they can be there when Wolverine escapes Weapon X. Yeah, it seemed a little, it was odd. A little convoluted. <laughs> you know, hey, there's nothing wrong with fan service, but but this was clearly there was a big fan service hole where it's just insert fan service here, and hey, that's fine. I yeah. guess it's like hey, we need a berserker Wolverine moment, and now apropos of nothing. <laughs> yeah, but there was not. It did. You could have pulled that out with a smile and a song. Yeah. Frankly, they could have pulled Apocalypse out. It would have been a better movie if they had just stuck with Magneto being the bad guy. Yeah. Because you could still have his motivation for turning back to evil be what happened to his family. I do think that Michael Fassbender did a, a fantastic job in that role because he's clearly not heroic, but it's this multifaceted level levels of why he has gone the way that he's gone that I, I thought was great. He's been very worthy in all three movies uh, to take over for, why am I drawing a blank? Ian McKellen. Thank you. All I could think of was Christopher Lee. <laughs> no. But, no that's, that's Sauron. <laughs> yeah, well, but you get why my, my yeah. brain might go that way. Because you drink, After yes. a long hungover day, yeah. Uh, no, I think he's been uh, fine with it, and I think it, I can understand being unwilling to say, oh, we can't always go back to the Magneto well as they do movies in parallel with Marvel that can't seem to get away from Loki. It doesn't matter, people. <laughs> Magneto is a solid character with a good actor behind him. Keep going back to the well as opposed to let's paint Poe Dameron blue <laughs> and instead of saying welcome to the frat, we'll give him $4 million to do it. Yeah. Because, yeah, you pull Apocalypse out of that and you make it just Magneto, you can have almost the same story, you know, the same redemptive turn even at the end that certain characters had. You can also knock about 30 minutes out of the movie because it was kind of long. Yeah. Two and a half hours. It's, yeah, it's certainly on the couch with a completely clear bathroom eight feet away. <laughs> That's fine. But Yeah, and, and the downside to doing Apocalypse and his, his writer's uh, was that he introduced Storm and Psylocke and then didn't give them a hell of a lot to do. Storm has never had a hell of a lot to do in any of the X-Men movie. The X-Men movies. And Olivia Munn looked great as Psylocke, but yeah, not a hell of a lot to do. <laughs> yeah, she barely spoke. Yeah, yeah. She did one or two. She was there to look like Psylocke, which, yeah. is, which is okay. Brian Singer has always been... You know, you can complain, oh, fan service. He's always had enough of it, sometimes too much. And like I said, you could have pulled the Weapon X scene out. It was mm. a pleasant surprise until you stopped to think about it. And and Warren Worthington is never, ever going to be cool, even when he's Archangel. <laughs> no, never. I mean, my God. <laughs> he went from X-Men to the champions. You know, and they tried to Wolver... The whole purpose behind this first apocalypse story with bringing was to Wolverine up Angel in a desperate attempt to make him in any way relevant for the eighties, and it didn't work. No. It's just, you can't paint Angel blue and call that a good idea because they didn't even try to paint him blue in that one. No, it, it doesn't work out. So yeah, I, I get that Angel. Ten seconds of oh, all right. Well, he listens to Norwegian metal. <laughs> I guess that's kind of an interesting take on it. That's literally the entirety of his his character arc. Yeah. <laughs> Is I'm a good pit fighter and I like Norwegian metal. 
pretty much. And, and vodka. I like vodka. Well, everybody likes vodka. That's, <laughs> that's no great. That's no great stretch. But so, yeah, it's. It was not a perfect flick. No, but it also had, and, and here's a, a well that they can go back to time and time and again, Evan Peters as Quicksilver. That kid has made the last two yeah. movies. It's not just that kid. Brian Singer really knows how to direct speedster scenes. Because mm. in Days of Future Past, the one scene with Quicksilver was spectacular, and everybody called that as, okay, that's the big breakout exceptional moment of that movie. So not being a dope, Singer put two of them in this one, <laughs> and they were even more spectacular, even though the second one, you're right, was straight out of... It, it was ripped out of the the season finale or second season finale of Justice League. Yeah, Justice League or Justice League... Ultimate. Uh, United. Or, yeah. Uh, it's not United. Ultimate. Ultimate. But yes, where he was against Luther Brainiac. Yeah. <laughs> he was the last one standing, and Luther Brainiac didn't think the guy who runs fast could possibly take him on. And was desperately incorrect <laughs> in that we, statement. We learned that Luther Brainiac cannot take a punch. That's right. <laughs> Nor can Apocalypse. Yeah. And, God, that was a great moment. Yeah. So yeah, that. And he also kind of takes on the Wolverine role from the yeah. first movie of, I am not of this world. I am an outsider who can comment on it. Yeah. And also, in, in its own way, sort of comment on fandom as a whole. You know, with that one comment of, you know, yeah, the the last thing was supposed to change everything, but I was still living in my mom's basement. Well, that was just <laughs> it. Like, there was that whole, like, you know, weighty, this is supposed to stand in for the idea of, of representation of LGBTQ and all of that, where says, Sophie Turner says to uh, Jennifer Lawrence, it was so important seeing you, and I, I felt like you know, I was validated and everything changed for me. And and sort of to deflate the gravitas of that moment, yeah. Um, Quicksilver's like, yep, well, I'm still a loser losing my mom's basement. <laughs> yeah, the only thing he could have said better would have been, I burn my family alive and I like to light things on fire. Because that makes everything better, including this show. <laughs> At this point, this show is nothing but that sound clip with other stuff on it, I think. <laughs> that, that sound clip is your Quicksilver. It is. It's my go-to to make everything pop again. Yes. So, it's on cable now. I think it's still in heavy rotation on HBO. Mm-hmm. So if you have cable, I wanted to bring it up just because now you can get to it if you were kind of like us and it just sort of fell through the cracks and clearly based on the box office, yeah, it did not set the world on fire. I forget what the box office take was, but nobody yeah. was using it in the same breath as, say, Civil War right. or even Batman versus Superman, for Christ's sake. It was reviled less than Batman versus Superman, but not as well enjoyed as Civil War. That was sort of its place. Yeah, it's uh, the trick is just assume Apocalypse has some kind of motivation, because that's really <laughs> kind of unclear. Just say, all right, fine, it, he's doing this because reasons, and then the rest of it really kind of works better than I thought it was going to work. Yeah. So it's it's worth checking out if you have cable. If not, uh, BitTorrent. Either way, the price <laughs> the price point there is about right. Yes. All right. Anything else? Or you, you want to talk about some of the books Let's this week? Let's talk about the books. All right. So we'll we'll do them in reverse order this week because <laughs> we <laughs> we'll get the Watchmen shit out of the way right up front. <laughs> That that's Amanda's amused laugh of let's watch let's watch Rob. Everybody get some popcorn. Spin strap in. up into a hate frenzy. It's, so it's another lovely lenticular cover. We'll start there on the positives. Yeah, but not nearly as cool as the Jason Fabok Batman going into the Flash. 
No, flash, is... alive, dead, alive, dead. Reverse flash. True. It's reverse flash. Alive. <laughs> it's Schrodinger's box of comics. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, not only is he alive and dead in the cover, uh, this book also sucks or does not suck until you open it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> flash 21 or part two of The Button. And I still don't have 3D Nightwing butt. What's up with that? It's uh, Look, there, there's a certain turnaround on reaction time. For when they, because you know, many producers listen to this show. I want 3D Nightwing butt. <laughs> Thank you. I can only be me. Uh, Flash 21, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Howard Porter. Uh, the first thing I would like to say is I really want to call a moratorium on anyone writing any story about any speedster in any comic line, writing down the phrase must dot 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 run. Dot, dot, dot. Hmm. Faster. Dot, dot, dot. But then how would we know that he wants to run faster? Uh, I don't know. If only there were a visual area to this medium that could possibly (laughs) be employed. It's Look, you guys are lifting from an Alan Moore classic, okay? Set your sights a little higher. Have higher standards than must. Dot, dot, dot. Run. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Amanda's just staring at me. No, I'm just wondering if they could maybe like replace it with the uh, the the clap emoji. <laughs> Must <laughs> run faster. <laughs> I'm looking to see if I have a. I got no sound clip to go with this. <laughs> Here, this is close enough. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. <laughs> either way, all right. Could, the soundboard can't cure everything. I I keep thinking it can. It can't. It's all right. Just keep your soda away from it. <laughs> there you go. It's weird being written by somebody completely different. The one thing Joshua Williamson, he doesn't try to ape Alan Moore, mm. at least his writing style or storytelling style, the same way Tom King did last week with, you know, oh, I'll have somebody saying something in the background, but the camera on something else to suddenly comment on it with a nine panel grid. And yeah. Williamson didn't do any of that. Now no. that's, that's positive to me in its own way. Uh, it turns this into more of a straight-ahead superhero story, which I think generally worked better for me. Yes. Um, but it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's by making it just a regular story that the stuff that was there that was supposed to be Alan Moore was kind of distracting last week. Mm. And tribute acts only work <laughs> if the original act is dead. Nobody's going to see an Elvis impersonator if the king is opening the main room at Caesars. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, nobody's actually going to see an Elvis impersonator if they haven't suffered a grievous head injury or it's not 1991 or something. But you get my point. I get your point. So it, I was kind of glad it wasn't there, but at the same time, it was a weird converse effect where while I didn't particularly like that King was aping more, pulling out that tone of naked homage kind of made this feel like it was less significant. At least King, by trying to tie it together, made it feel like it's, oh, this is important. Look, we're... We're following in the footsteps of this classic, whereas this was the Flash running on a cosmic treadmill looking for some radiation. Yes, and trying to keep that from Batman, but failing. Yeah, well. Like, oh, look, Barry's going to do something foolish and selfish again. It must be Wednesday. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, I mean, what what was your impression? What did you take from this? That I mean, was, the, that was this... pretty much my take. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the story felt kind of slight and like filler. Yeah, it, it, that's pretty much... It feels like this is to hold place until we get to the next issue of Batman. Which is possible. It it moves stuff along only in the sense of 
yeah, it just it didn't feel like there was much here. It's, I think you got it dead on. Flash, I mean, fully 20% of this book is the Flash, CSI Watchmen. Yeah. <laughs> the Flash uh, looking at evidence, and nobody watches. CSI Watchmen would be better than CSI Miami was, <laughs> but it's still not the most compelling comics of voiceover captions of the Flash talking about, man, I loves me some forensics, right. and looking at bloodstains on the floor. And and I also don't understand why Barry would want to conceal that the radiation was coming from somewhere different. Like, what is the end game in keeping that from Batman? The best I could figure, because that's another thing. There were a couple of different forms of radiation that the Flash detected, and one was the probably Doctor Manhattan radiation that was all mm. that was all over the comedian pin, the button. But the other was he detected his own radioactive signature all over reverse flash. So his question is, in the future, was it me who killed reverse flash? Yeah. I kind of... But with Batman, you're better off being upfront with that because if he finds out later, whatever suspicion he might have is just going to be worse. Yeah, I don't get the <laughs> motivation for not talking about that. <laughs> Particularly since there's a... History. I've got a giant showcase book of the last arc for the last couple of years of Flash comics before Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, when it was written by Carrie Bates, was the trial of the Flash for killing Reverse Flash. Yeah. So bringing that as, a, as something that maybe can loop back as a rebirth story point kind of makes sense and is kind of cool. Yeah. But it, yeah, the motivation for why you wouldn't tell Batman... The Batman's going to fucking find out. I mean, he's Batman. Yeah, as you're t- as you're having your <laughs> forensics geek out of, oh, I measured radiation with my dosimeter. Is it my dosimeter or your dosimeter? Uh, my, so you know, Batman has a dosimeter. He can read the fucking radiation. You're not going to get away with this, Flash. <laughs> I don't care how fast you run. He's Batman for Christ's sake. And he's going to double check your work because he's Batman. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah, the best I I don't. There's got to be a reason for it, but you're right. It's not really clear. It doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You might as well tell them it's like uh, a version of me uh, may have killed Reverse Flash. Now, if they had stated clearly that... It's like it's like the Speed Force was like... Yeah. The, <laughs> this is a confusion that doesn't need to be there because just thinking about it right now, it's make him reticent to tell Batman because my radiation is all over Reverse Flash. Batman doesn't know where I am. Nobody knows where I am. I don't have an alibi. Nobody saw me at the hockey rink since I move as fast as I do and since I can move as fast as I do and move through time, I may be a suspect... Batman may think I, me, this version of Barry Allen murdered Reverse Flash, yeah. and until I get more information to clear my name, I don't want him to know. That's all you have to do, is is instead of talking about different types of radiation, which was confusing as to which one he's talking about at any given time, just, just say, I detected my radiation, and Bruce will think I'm a suspect because I, I don't have an alibi that I can prove. That's all you got to do. Yeah. And it wasn't there. And it was so it was confusing when it didn't need to be. Otherwise, this is like denying that you came on the reverse Flash's leg. I, it's just. <laughs> and I formally deny that I came on the reverse Flash's leg. That's not my DNA. Yet. <laughs> it's, look, I've earned my Wednesday private time, <laughs> but I'll rule that out. That's not a thing that happens. <laughs> Even the book isn't sticky. Don't go there. <laughs> this is, don't ask questions you don't want the answers to, but that one, that's the answer. You seem awfully defensive. 
Where is it? Oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> they put the button in a different place this time. I couldn't find it. So, yeah, it was needlessly confusing when it didn't need to be. Mm-hmm. Really not a lot happens. He finds radiation. He gets on the cosmic treadmill, and the spoilers land in the Flashpoint universe. Yes. And that's basically it. I mean, one thing, and it's not even a story. And they broke the treadmill, so I don't know how they're getting back. Oh, it doesn't. It's superhero comics. It doesn't matter. It's there'll there'll be one somewhere else in the Flashpoint universe. It's been <laughs> a long time since I read Flashpoint. I don't remember if there was another version of Flash, but they'll come up with something. Yeah. One thing I I did like, and it was not necessarily a story thing. It was more just sort of story elements. I, I kind of like how they're bringing in kind of older, lighter elements from the DCU uh, in this story about pushing back against the darkness of yeah. Watchmen. I mean, we open up with Johnny Thunder, who as a character was about as light and silly as you get with, right. <laughs> with Golden Age stuff. Uh, kind of the same thing with, you know, in Batman 21, we saw Saturn Girl and Original Legion, again, about as Silver Age as you can possibly get. Mm-hmm. We got the Cosmic Treadmill in this. So I, I kind of think it's interesting. It's like, okay, let's take some of the Silver Age pre-crisis elements and make them important in this story about dealing with Watchmen. It's, like Mixel Plick in action comics. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's interesting choices. I, I kind of like it. Um, unfortunately, at this point, yeah, we're 20 pages further in. We're no closer to getting any information about how Watchmen fits into any of this shit. No, but now we get to move into an issue where Bruce, <laughs> Bruce can have closure with his daddy. Uh, yeah, I guess we have to do that every eight or ten years, don't we? <laughs> yes. It wasn't that the purpose of the letter that got torn up in the last issue from yes. Flashpoint? But now he can get it in person. Because <sighs> <laughs> emo Batman is sad. Yeah, this is more of emo Batman, isn't it? Yeah. And it's going to be a father and a son who are both destroyed by the other's respective deaths and move down a path of isolation and self-flagellation, not in a come-on-reverse-flags-kind-of-flash kind of way, <laughs> a different kind of self-flagellation. But, yeah, it's I'm really starting to get, get your point about Tom King's emo Batman. Emo Batman is sad. Yeah, especially <laughs> considering we'll talk about detective comics where, no, it's a Batman who actually uh, can get away and maybe actually kick somebody in the face. Yes. That was kind of nice. It was nice. The longer this drags on, and there's part of this also dragging on in action comics, which I think I liked. It's hard to. I liked it better. Uh, I want to say I liked it equally, but there are different things that sort of drag on it and or elevate it. Mm. It, it. It was probably better than Flash 21. It's reminding me of like the old Spider Clone saga, which was originally supposed to be, oh, this many issues and then we move on. And the sales were there so they kept saying push off the ending push off the ending to try and mm. squeeze a few more dollars out of people it's starting to feel that way with this watchman thing it's been over a year yes. i think or or at least it's been a year <laughs> you, you're the one last week who said rip the bandaid off yeah get to the fucking point well we're beginning to cuz we're going to talk about action comics next and we have a, a Mr. Oz appearance. Yeah, we do, but we I really want to get this button shit out of the way because every time I see that goddamn button, I get a little bit fucking crazier. And I get a little <laughs> bit fucking crazier because apparently nobody at DC remembers that Dan Dryberg scraped a bunch of that fucking blood off of the button when Rorschach showed it to him. 
Because that's when that's when uh, Night Owl he's scraping at it with his thumb, and he says, "What's this bean juice?" And Rorschach goes, "Huh, human bean juice." You remember that? Yeah, I do. Okay, so the only way for Batman to have the pin with a complete blood stain on it is if it somehow got to him before Rorschach got, yeah. got to it. Yeah, which would completely negate Watchmen. Watchmen literally cannot happen if Rorschach doesn't get the pin because he would never suspect that Edward Blake was the comedian. So every time I see Batman or Flash holding that pin with the intact blood stain, I'm like, you're not you're killing Watchmen literally now as well as figuratively. Get to the point. I'll stick with you, but you're killing me here for fuck's sake. I think this is Dan DiDio's fault. I mean, and I know that's that's a stupid interpretation. It's why is the blood stain there? Well, because everybody sees that and knows Watchmen. Otherwise, you know, we're trying to sell books here, Rob. We're not trying to make some grand sid. I get that, but I'm a comic geek. Right now, I am literally in my basement screaming about comic books. <laughs> you can't do this to me. <laughs> I no, can't be the only one. Upset. He's getting the agita. I can't be the only one who looks at that and says, "God damn it." <laughs> there should be a big thumb scratch at least, at least one through the blood stain. I can't be the only one. Uh, yeah, and and there shouldn't be enough blood left there for them to do any kind of analysis, really. The, oh, but Batman's magic. Yeah, uh, I guess it's. A, I'm not sure how much blood you need to be able to to run a DNA type. It's uh, look. <laughs> I'm a product of the American public school system. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've read books about science. I've never actually done any. And yeah, at that point, I know about as much as everything I know about that kind of science I got from CSI, which means I don't know shit. Duly noted. The other problem is, and I I made a note of this, part of why having Flash involved with this has always felt a little weird to me. It it finally occurred to me, Barry Allen was dead when Watchmen came out. Mm. So for him to be such a big part of this feels a little weird because... Wally West was the Flash when when Watchmen came out. Barry Allen died in Crisis 8, and I think that was November 1985, and the mm. first Watchmen was uh, September of 86. So it it makes sense for Flash to be involved since they're clearly tying Crisis on Infinite Earths to Watchmen based on sort of the timing of, oh, this is when comics started to become this way, but it doesn't really make sense. Mm. You could make the argument that Watchmen takes place in like October, November of 85, which would be when Flash died. That, I guess, if you want to pick nits, makes the timing match up. I'd We'd have to fight yeah. if we were. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, it feels a little weird because it's like, yeah, when this was happening, Barry Allen was already dead. He's got nothing to do with Watchmen. But. Yeah. The conceit is he's, he's trying to protect Wally. And, and I get that. And it's certainly not not nearly as big a deal to me as, you know, the, the blood stain shouldn't completely be there. I don't know why that's suddenly stuck in my head. but, but I, It's a good point, though. Yeah, this book, uh, ultimately, it was only okay. Not much happened. Uh, it made storytelling, I don't want to say mistakes, but it made it things harder for itself than it had to be in order to, yeah, come up with a reason. There's a much simpler reason for Flash to not be telling Batman everything. Right. The reasons here are unclear. And, yeah, it's ultimately it was this is just a point A to point B story of, okay, I want to have son Batman and dad Batman from Flashpoint together. Okay, I don't care about that at all. Can we just get the somebody looking at Blue Wang? That's, <laughs> if we're going to do this, Let's That's how that jizz got on the reverse flash. <laughs> it all makes sense now. It's where the radiation came from. 
it's, I, I don't want to say get to the money shot, but if we're going to do this, you know, let's make it. For a $10 <laughs> all-you-can-eat testicle fest. <laughs> let's just get it done. I mean, anything else on, on this one? Nah. Or, see, this is going to be the problem. The button has not been strong enough, and it's really going to have to make significant leaps and come up with something cool for for me to care about it. I. That's always been the problem is when men don't care about the button. <sighs> Two weeks in a row. <laughs> really, we're going to do this? <laughs> and the button feels neglected. Uh, uh, Amanda's, Amanda's <laughs> doing button jokes. Showtime, a-hole. <laughs> just... Sorry, I'm 12. <laughs> That's all right. I, I did blue wang jokes. It's all right. We're about equality on this show, damn it. <laughs> all kinds of it. <laughs> I, I've never agreed with having Watchmen involved in Rebirth. If we're going to do it, let's just get it the fuck done. Yes. There are things about Rebirth that are better than this. A lot of those happen in Action Comics 978 this week, written by Dan Jurgens, art by Carlo Barberi. But even with this, it's we've got a big lump, <laughs> a big, scary, irregular, possibly malignant lump of Ozymandias in the back of this that doesn't need to be there because right. yeah, while Batman and flash are doing the active fucking around looking for the watchman stuff with, with this issue, it's been doing what DC rebirth has been doing best, which is really update the new status quo and explaining what is and isn't in continuity, not only since rebirth started, but since the Mixelplick yes. story of a few weeks ago. So yeah, this entire issue, it's really, an explanation of what is in Superman's continuity since that Mixelplick encounter. And it's framed with the conceit of, again, we got to get back to Watchmen of, oh, somebody's messed with my history. So let me use recording archival crystals in my Fortress of Solitude to go through my personal history. Yeah, it feels it feels like Superman and Wonder Woman in some respects are going down a similar path with the idea of, all right, my, my continuity has been messed with so often I'm not sure which way is up, so yeah. let me try to examine what's real and what's not. Yeah, and the the problem with this issue, this action comics, is Wonder Woman is doing it much more effectively. It's doing it over a course of time, so it's mm. been going on since Greg Rucka took over yeah. and Rebirth started, but it's very much a, let's go through this story and examine what happens when parts of your past that you firmly believe are not necessarily true anymore. This issue, while it's cool to see the continuity fall into place compared to what Ruck is doing with this epic journey of trying to determine whether uh, Wonder Woman has ever been back to Thymascara, this is an issue about a dude watching his home movies in his man cave. It's and so that's true. not really exciting. <laughs> With his robot butler. Yeah, it's it's exciting to see how the pieces of New 52 and pre-crisis and post-crisis really fit together to make the new normal. Mm. But yeah, it, it's a dude wistfully <laughs> rewinding through his home movies on VHS. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not sure that was really a great choice. That really kind of drags the issue down. It's doing the rebirth stuff that I like, but Jurgens could have found a better way to show us yeah, rather than, hi, let me get out the slide projector, stranger. It was literally <laughs> he was telling and not showing. <laughs> exactly. It's also, it's kind of weird and ironic. We're getting this rewritten continuity where the new 52 stuff 
it turns out really didn't happen in action comics, but at the same time, we're digging up Flashpoint over in Batman and Flash. It's like the New yeah. 52, it's this... DC wants it to heal, but they can't keep picking at it. It's they keep picking at the scab. Like it's like, oh, I wish this would go away. Wonder what's under here. It's like, no, you're gonna leave a scar. Just don't touch that it. That internet meme with the cat. Touch the fishy. No, touch the fishy. Yeah, but touch of the fishy. No, no, touch of the fishy. Okay. So, so yeah, it's a the the new. Normal of Superman's life is apparently his origin and the the Fortress of Solitude uh, come from the Superman movie with Christopher Reeve. Right. But yeah, Superman and Lois, they got married the same way they did uh, after Death of Superman. Death of Superman's a thing that happened. Yep. The stuff that happened to New 52 Superman, because there's a specific image of Superman fighting Ulysses from the Jeff Johns, John mm-hmm. Romita Jr. run from like 2014, 2015. Yep. That happened, but it happened to this Superman. So... What we have is the conceit uh, from Adventures of Lois and Clark after Convergence of the Superman from pre-Flashpoint is trapped in the New 52 universe. That's now completely gone. If for good or ill, and I'd say it's for good, considering the general quality of Superman in action comics right after the New 52 started, right. New 52 Superman did not live and die and was not replaced. There's just Superman now. Yes. So that's kind of cool. Although there's one <laughs> there's one moment in Superman's new history of, oh, we moved out to the sticks to protect <laughs> Jonathan, and yet Lois was writing long investigative journalistic expose books yeah. under the name Reporter X or Author X or Author something. And like, really? <laughs> I, I have a two-mile commute and we have to take care of a cat and I barely have the energy to do this show. <laughs> well, it's because Lois Lane is supposed to be you know, the the epitome of er woman. Like, she she can do it all. Oh, yes. The, she is she is girl power, whereas I... I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. <laughs> that's that's all I got. And she, she's a, a fantastic mother, but she also has time to be a, an amazing career woman, and you know, I bet she probably has a really great mani-pedi. Like, <laughs> whereas I... Now put your hands together for the man who's falling apart before our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I get it. It was just... What stuck out to me was author X or reporter X. I'm like, for God's sake, we know that you're not good at coming up with pseudonyms because really, if you take more than half a step back, Superman's a stupid name. It is. If you see a guy flying and lifting a helicopter and the best you've got is uh, Superman, yeah, you probably shouldn't. There's a reason you probably let Clark name your son because you would have <laughs> called him Strong Baby. <laughs> You're not. Don't name things, Junior. Lois. Yeah, don't name things. It's not your strong suit. Our son, Junior. <laughs> Punchy fetus, not a good name. <laughs> You'll have trouble at school, at least emotional trouble. So, source of my pickle craving. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't <laughs> fit. Doesn't fit well in the birth certificate. Yeah. Don't name things, Lois. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's cool to see how this new continuity is forming for Superman. But yeah, this issue's kind of slow because yeah, it's a dude watching movies and yeah, talking with his robot buddy. You now we we do have some setup for eventual setup with whatever this Superman Revenge Squad is at the end. the The problem with that is I, I don't really know who Blank is. Uh, Metallo is never going to be cooler than he was in whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow, yeah. written by yeah, surprise, Alan Moore. Uh, and I just I don't care that much about Hank Henshaw and the Eradicator. 
No, but I, I think Jurgens is using this opportunity like, okay, so now I've got all of my ducks in a row as far as what is current in Superman continuity. Now I need to turn my attention to the villains, so I'm just going to do them all at once. Well, yeah, this the rebirth stuff and rewriting of history can't last forever. Yeah. So you've got to get a certain amount of that done and then, yeah, get in some two-fisted superhero action. Yeah. The, the problem I had with this particular issue, and again, I think it was better than Flash... I I think I agree with you on that. Yeah, it's a, the pacing that was... In order to do similar kind of stuff, just a few weeks ago with Mixelplik, it was a lot of action and things were happening. Yes. And it's very difficult to say, and this is equally exciting and acceptable because it just isn't. It's most of the book is... Yeah, we'll tell you what the new history it was, is. It was exposition and even even with the, the villains... You know, there's a a splash page where it's like you get like all of the villains on one side and all of the good guys on the other side, just just so that the reader knows. Okay, here's everybody who's in play. Here's yeah, everybody that you should know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's another one. It certainly wasn't a placeholder. Yeah, but yeah, it's structurally it had some problems. It's I like what it accomplished. I don't like the way in which it was accomplished. Right. And looking down the road to fucking Hank Henshaw again. <laughs> It's Hank Henshaw. I get that he and the Eradicator are key parts of Death of Superman. Yes. Death of Superman, while it's a key moment for the character, it's also one of the great symptoms of 90s comics excess. It was the the moment where everybody and their brother went in and, oh, give me the black bag copy. And it's really when the bottom started to fall out of comics. I think it's okay to not revisit stuff like that. Yeah. It's it's not my it's not my biggest thing. Anything else on? No, just um, the fact that Mister Oz was able to throw Superman across the the Fortress of Solitude and with no repercussions. What does that say in terms of the power level of? I I'm still taking on faith that Mister Oz is Ozymandias. He might not be. Yeah, it really seems kind of obvious for for that to be the case. So yeah, maybe it's somebody else, but. It depends on what they wind up doing with, and I have been calling it for months, this Watchmen thing, because that's really what it is. We know that the Watchmen universe is involved, right? but you know, is, is at a higher level, are we going to get some pastiche or, or archetype of, oh, we're being driven directly by the creator in the same way Grant Morrison was the creator in Animal Man, so mm-hmm. great, we'll have the creator of Watchmen you know, or just stick a big Alan Moore beard on Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> I don't know. That'd be funny. But would giving the Watchmen characters the ability to have different power sets, I don't know. Right now, the Watchmen thing is just a big black box with a smiley face with a blood stain on it. I'm really getting tired of it. Now that it's coming more front and center with Rebirth, I, I just want it done. Get yeah. it get it done. Get it done so DC we can all has move done on. so many things that are right in the last year. Don't string me on with this. If you've got a point, fucking make it. Yeah. But, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, could, what does it say? It says, Watchmen's involved in Superman, and I don't want that anyway. But if we're going to do it, let's fucking do it. Yes. I burn my family alive, <laughs> and I like to light things on fire. Lighten the mood. There you go. <laughs> And that brings us to... Yeah, talking of excesses of the 90s that I don't think we need to revisit. Uh, ben Riley, The Scarlet Spider, number one. <laughs> Written by Peter David, art by Mark Bagley. Um, what are what are your thoughts? Because 
I I I bought it because we have a comics podcast and because I like Peter David and I think honestly Mark Bagley is probably my favorite Spider-Man artist since Todd McFarlane. I don't see the purpose in having this book other than they're trying to continue to expand the Spider franchise. Well, there are hardly any Spider-Man books right now. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it feels like, okay, so we've got Ben Riley, and Ben Riley is living in Las Vegas, and it, it's it's like they're trying to Deadpool him up. Yeah, I hadn't that hadn't occurred to me, but... Like, oh, I'm slightly crazy and unhinged, and what am I going to do at any given time? You don't know. <laughs> the difference is Deadpool is fun, yeah. and Ben Riley is, is an not. execrable pile of human garbage who yes. I hope gets hit by a truck. Yeah. Yeah. But... Anyway, it's... well, no. I mean, even down to the fact that he he's his his face is all fucked up because of his clone disease. <laughs> it's really a great point that hadn't occurred to me. It's Peter David, yeah, maybe trying to go a Deadpool direction because he keeps breaking the fourth wall with the character, and he's got wacky like voices in his head that come to life. And... Yeah, I didn't see him as breaking the fourth wall. I saw him as being legitimately unbalanced and insane. Which, granted, as is Deadpool, but yeah. I never got a sense that Ben Riley was talking to me because I don't want to speak to Mr. Riley. I don't either. I, I applaud the effort to try to make the character more interesting by going that route, but I've already got Deadpool. Yeah, we don't we don't need another one. Yeah. And this is not a worthy, not even replacement, but he is Ben Riley is an insane asshole who shoots people. And mm. extorts cash out of the people that he saves. Mm-hmm. This book opens with Ben having stolen his fucking costume from some cosplayer. Yes. So he, it opens with a crime and a stupid crime. We and, don't see a comic convention going on anywhere. No, and it and it ends up with he is in a, a hotel casino. The woman who owns the casino is a victim of his clone scheme yeah. from the previous arc. She wants to kill him. I have no problem with that. Let's just resolve the book now. Yeah, it's this character was dead six months ago. I'm fine with him yeah. going directly back there. Look, I really like Peter David. There are things in this book that are effective, even if they don't work for me. I think Peter David builds up tension around this character really effectively. You know, he opens up with the old obvious, oh, this character's nuts. Mm. You know, it's signed by having him hallucinate versions of himself that aren't there. But yeah, once Riley shoots the mugger and shakes down the unemployed victim, the unemployed victim <laughs> shakes her down for 50 bucks, only because she doesn't have the full hundred that he wants for the rescue. Yeah, all right, we start to get the sense this character really might do anything, might be dangerous. Yeah. So when he goes into the casino and decides, oh, I'm going to adopt this Aunt June, but I have to deal with this husband. Oh, Uncle Ben died. It's a, there's a legitimate feeling of this could go wrong. This character yeah. is unhinged. This could really go wrong for this couple. So it's it's effective tension building, but I'm not sure it's a character that I want to spend any fucking length of time with. Right. It's... Right. I just I I don't like Ben Riley. I didn't like him in the Spider Clone saga. I like him less now that he's a fucking dildo. <laughs> I mean, yeah. There's no indication here that there's 
there's a possible indication that David has a redemptive arc in mind for him because I get the sense that these two hallucinations, one of himself in the blue hoodie from back when he was the Scarlet Spider in the Clone Saga versus the one from the Jackal is is a riff on the age-old oh, angel on one shoulder, devil on the other. Right. I don't think David, if that's what he's going for, I don't think he's effective in showing that Scarlet Spider hallucination is the age is the angel because that's who he's talking to right before he goes down shoots a guy in the knee and hands hands yeah. the loaded gun to somebody who's never had one before right yeah and it basically threatens her you know, saying yeah you'll get the other 50 bucks to me or, or you won't like what happens right so if if the angel on his shoulder is scarlet spider he sucks and is a wimp and is not very effective <laughs> But that's the best indication that I can see that there's some kind of redemption that David might have in mind for this character. And because it's not strongly shown that he even wants to make an effort for that, yeah, this guy, this character's a cock. Mm-hmm. It's, I, don't, I don't like this person. I don't want good things to happen to him. I don't want to spend time with him. I just don't. Right. It's, the book looks great. Like I said, I think Mark Bagley is the best modern Spider-Man artist for me, all the work he did on Ultimate Spider-Man, you do it for that long, yeah, that style's going to lock in, you know, if you like it even remotely. So it's great to see him doing a Spider-Man type character. Right. I just wish it was... Uh, the, there are, yeah, what, 15 Spider-Men running around the 616 now? Yeah. Can you, can you give Bagley one who's not a fucking douche? When, when your general feeling walking away from the book is, why couldn't that have been Spider-Pig? Like, you know? I almost just snarfed a big mouthful of root beer right into my computer. <laughs> yes, I'd rather read Spider Pig, who does whatever a spider pig does. Exactly. He might hallucinate better angels and devils, but he's Spider Pig, and he just does whatever a spider pig does. He does, and he runs with Maggie Simpson, and it's awesome. <laughs> Where's my whiskey funnel? I- I'd like to see Mark Bagley draw Maggie Simpson. <laughs> That'd probably be interesting. I could, I could get... the further adventures. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, look. I don't like Ben Riley. I never liked him. I like him less fucking now. Now a comic book about a volatile douchebag, a, a, a dark superhero who's violent. I got Watchmen upstairs. I don't need a Spider-Man version of him. I, I don't. And I'm not sure any of this is necessarily Peter David's fault. This is Dan Slott's problem. Yes. He did the, He decided, I'm going to bring this character back and do this to him. And then said, okay, good luck, everybody. Yeah. Here, you deal with this. Yeah, I, I don't have the stones or the editorial mandate or whatever to kill this fucking character at the end of the clone conspiracy. So, all right, yeah, let's see if a Marvel can make $4 out of another ill-conceived book about a character that nobody fucking likes. Have another Spider-Man. Well, yeah, maybe book. it'll wrap up after six issues because it was a limited series that they didn't want to admit to. Uh, I, I guess. <laughs> well, if if that's the case, <laughs> Marvel's making a lot of fucking mistakes, man. But yeah, I mean, but Watchmen's it, not in it. Uh, no, Watchmen's not in it. But uh, neither are any heroes. <laughs> And if this is a journey back to heroism, it's just not clear that that's what is in mind for the character. And yeah, like I said, in the absence of a redemptive arc, the only story about Ben Riley I ever liked ended with him dumped into a fucking smokestack back in 1975. I don't need any more Ben Riley. Like I said, I think both David and Bagley are effective in this book, but it's 
if I'm the intended audience, I'm not the intended audience. Yeah. I don't like the character and they didn't do anything to make me like the character. Somewhere out there, there's an alienated 13-year-old boy who thinks Spider-Man would be the best if he just killed people. Here you go, kid. Good luck to you. Yeah. No, I think, <laughs> I think that sums it up pretty well. All right. Last book. Last book. All right. This is my book of the week. Okay. I know you don't agree. I really enjoyed uh, Rick and Morty this week. <laughs> Rick and Morty was good for... And it yeah, brought, they brought back Tiny Rick. Yeah, let's let's give that a quick shout out for everybody who's been gnawing at doorknobs and clawing at the walls <laughs> for when's the new season of Rick and Morty. But yeah, who's it? Uh, it's not Boom IDW. Uh, maybe Either I wasn't. I, I was just bringing it up because like that's. I was the most genuinely entertained by that book this week. But it, yeah, it's I was entertained by it. Um, but it, so yeah, let's. It's either IDW or Boom Studios, and uh, yeah, not having written down, I forget who. Wrote it. It's it's not. It's the uh, same Justin person Ryland. writing. It's the same person writing and drawing it. Yeah, but it, it's not the creative crew. It's not Dan Harmon and no. was it Justin Ryland? Yeah, Royland. Yeah, Rick and Morty. It's a monthly book. Uh, the the writer artist is yeah doing a perfectly good simulation of that uh, of that visual style. And yeah, it's some longer stories that go for two or three issues. Uh, this one was a one and done, yep. but yeah, really gets the nihilistic Rick feel and Morty's complete help. He's got a real handle on the characters. It's a decent Rick and Morty fix uh, until the man comes around with the real stuff sometime <laughs> later on this summer. It's if yes. you're a Rick and Morty fan, you should be reading the comic. It's it's fun and it's got the right spirit to it. Exactly. But this was my book of the week. <laughs> but no, you're right. It's worth. It's worth at least giving some credit for. If you're a fan, it's it's a good outlet for you. Also, no Watchmen in it. There were no Watchmen in it. (laughs) (laughs) There are no Watchmen in this one. That is true. Yes, that's probably that probably helped the most. (laughs) Uh, Detective Comics nine fifty five, written by James Tinian the fourth, art by uh, Marcio Takara. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Uh, Yeah, it's basically the plot is Orphan saves everyone. Yes, uh, and, and starts and starts to embrace her actual name rather than going by the code name Orphan. Yeah, now I really like this issue. In certain ways, I know I shouldn't have. I, in certain ways, I know I was blatantly emotionally manipulated, and that manipulation was obvious. And most of the time, that would make me say, "Nope, you can't fool me." This one, I just said, "Okay, I'm along for the ride," and I really liked it. I know you don't necessarily agree, so why don't you... I, I yeah, the emotional manipulation for me was was too blatant, so I was like, really, are we doing this? Okay. More emo shit, thanks. <laughs> and, and that's a, a fair statement to make, because most of the time, like I said, when I figure out, okay, I get what you're trying to do, uh, it has more often than not the opposite effect. It pulls me out of the story. Throws up my uh, throws out my suspension to disbelief, and, and I don't know why in this case that didn't happen. Well, because it was it was the double edged or pronged, yeah. Like okay, the emotional manipulation of here's why you should feel bad for Cassandra Kane. I already do. She was raised by the League of Assassins. <laughs> like, yeah, <clears throat> and she's you know functionally illiterate. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, it's. I think it helps that the blatant emotional manipulation was interspersed with an extreme amount of superhero on ninja violence. That helps well, with that, almost anything. There is that. 
But it was it was the way that it came down to, you know, I'm going to impress you, mom, Lady Shiva, you know, whether you want to admit to me or not that you're you're going to be impressed. And oh, by the way, this is my real family, (laughs) (laughs) the bat family. (laughs) Yeah, it's look, it, it was bald faced. It's not necessarily going to have the same effect on. It's it's obvious what Tinian did, right? You know, right to, okay, I've got this magical children's book that absolutely on point speaks to this particular situation that you, Cassandra Kane, are in right now, including the rescuing of friends who require your particular skill set. It's a perfect children's parable from this perfect dancer who has the same uh, a movement that you can't stop watching from afar. Yes, it was deus ex machina completely. I don't know why it hooked me in. Actually, you know why it hooked me in? Because that last moment, the last couple of pages, where, yeah, Cassandra is facing down Lady Shiva and showing some real spine doing it. And that moment of, I can't take you alone. And she says, well, you're always alone. And yes, if if you're going to take your bald-faced emotional manipulation and end it with Batman kicking someone in the head and saying, <laughs> no, you're not alone, I'm on board with that. A kick in the head from the Batman, particularly after weeks of Batman stumbling around, stopping criminals by smashing his face into their fists. Uh, Yeah, a good Batman kick in the head, fine. You got me. I got chills at that moment. I should not have. I should fucking know better. I'm a college-educated person who understands how I was being manipulated. And I didn't care. (laughs) That's all I can tell I I did, so... Make no mistake, this book had some problems. It had one significant problem. It had one double-page layout that in order to read it, you had to turn the book on its side yeah. and read it top to bottom. He's and done sort that of a in other vertical. books, too. Yeah, and let me address any creators who might be listening, and without going into any details, we've learned there may be creators who listen to this show. Um, if you've written or drawn a layout that requires you to turn the comic book 90, 180, 270, fuck it, five degrees. If you have to manually manipulate how you're turning the book to read it, you're failing at comics. You're fucking up. It's not a thing that you want to do. Because when you turn a page in a comic book and it is suddenly impossible for you to continue without physically intervening in your interface with the story that's going on, you're immediately removed from the story. You yes. have to be because you have to pull yourself out of it and stop and think, how do I continue? It's even worse than the problem I've complained about for years and complained about at length last week of just double page layouts without enough strong visual cues of how to navigate the page. This is literally, it's, I can't navigate it. I have to physically do a thing to read it. Yeah. It's, it doesn't work. It, you've got serious heavy lifting for me to put my irritation aside and try to pick up my suspension of disbelief again. And, and this was your book of the week. Yeah. Well, it's also, <laughs> the other thing people don't think about is the minute this gets collected into a trade paperback, anything that's within an inch of the spine of the book, you might as well not even put it there. It's going to become invisible because you can lie a comic book flat. You can't lay a trade back. So as everything sort of goes down the hump into the spine. Anything that's there on the layout, you can't read it now. Yeah. So whatever's there is invisible. This feels like the the, um, the penciler was thinking more about how this would play out on reading it on a tablet than in an actual book. And that's possible. And in the future, 
it, it may not make a difference, but you're going to still run into the same problem on a tablet. Well, not necessarily. Because, yeah, if a tablet's showing you one page at a time... Sometimes, they, sometimes it shows it to you one panel at a time, depending it, on how you've got it set. Yeah. Oh, God, I hate digital comics. But that's a, that's a whole different thing. Uh, but, it, yeah, if you're reading it one page at a time, even then, if it suddenly shrinks down to show you both pages at a time to give you the full effect, yeah. you still have to reach down and zoom in. And yeah, it's just... If something requires you to physically change what you're doing to enjoy the story... You've got a problem. It's a poor choice. Yes. Now, this story was strong enough that it recovered for me. That doesn't matter. There's always an exception that proves the rule. Don't do this. D- don't do it. it just, there's more negatives than positive to it. You're putting yourself in a hole that's hard to get out of. And, and I recognize there's artistic choices. And I've seen books where you have, I think from Grant Morrison, because he likes to fuck around, where you've got to, you wind up turning the book 360 degrees over the course of the story to try to read it. And it's still a terrible choice, even from Grant Morrison, because, yeah, it's, it's a story, and suspension of disbelief is so goddamn fragile anyway. Yeah. Just, just don't do it. I just couldn't figure out where... It was, it's implied that Cassandra saved the Bat family so that they would be available to help her when she got to the end of of killing all of the ninjas so she could confront her mother. And I I just couldn't also fig- piece together where she did that in the course of her slaughter. Yeah. <laughs> At the beginning of the book, most of the Bat family is completely immobilized without their tools, chained up, including Batman. He's been apprehended. Uh, and you do have a point about that. It's if you read uh, the action going into that final confrontation between Orphan and Shiva, there are a couple of panels where clearly the sword is going through chains and then the sword is going through the poles that they're attached to and you can see a couple of the characters' heads at the top. I found, well, you're it, right, it wasn't, found it kind of too murky to follow that. It, it wasn't as clear as it could have been, but the information was there. And the the timing was also a little dicey, being just what is a few, literally two pages, and what seems like uh, maybe a minute worth of dialogue time between Orphan and Shiva. Yeah, that's a lot of time for everybody to find their pants and their guns <laughs> and you know, utility belts. Yeah, remove Clayface from forty six different uh, <laughs> Jars, frozen containers, yeah. <laughs> and so I get what you're saying. Look, it is not a perfect book. It's got problems, and there is, yeah, that one grievously terrible visual storytelling choice. And I don't know who that came from. I don't know if it came from Tinian or if it came from uh, Takara. But either way, just stop doing that shit. Don't do that. But, yeah, that final moment of the Bat family there to back her up after Orphan going through basically the entire League of Shadows... That worked for me. It's I got chills. I'm like, yep, okay, this is what I want. This is the kind of moment I want from a Batman family book. Yeah. The manipulation was bald face for whatever reason. That did not stop me. Okay. The reason probably being I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> no, but it's just I'm, in two books now. I've I've got I've got mommy issues in this book. I got daddy issues in the Bat book. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that is a fair statement. It's it's fair. And the, the I thing- mean, it's not like you go into the Bat family because you're emotionally healthy, <laughs> but it just is just yeah, angst. <laughs> oh, there's so much angst. Just kicks some ass, which she at least did. So good on her for that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's. I think that's 
what you're saying here is is probably why I liked the the Quicksilver stuff so much in <laughs> X Men Apocalypse. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, for while the stock in trade, particularly of Marvel comics, has always been, you know, oh, the, the, the flawed human underneath the superpowers, the sheer joy Evan Peters shows being this fast. If, if I yeah. could run at super speed, you couldn't get the stupid fucking grin off my face. Well, and also just the little details, too. Like when he's taking uh, Mystique from point A to point B at super speed, and he's gently cradling her head so she didn't get whiplash or die. (laughs) That's just good direction. Yeah, Brian Singer knows how to shoot speedster stuff. You want somebody to direct the Flash movie, somebody get Brian Singer on the fucking phone. Yeah. Yeah, If you're not doing it already, you're not thinking it through. Because, you know, many producers listen to this show. So... (laughs) But but you're you're right. There's yeah, daddy issues over here in Batman, and mommy issues over here in Detective Comics, and it, uh, and and Kate's still gonna resolve whatever bullshit's going on with her father. <laughs> he's still out there, and now he's roaming around like he's in friggin' Sea Org. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and she's having ex issues. Uh, yeah, over in, in Batwoman. Yeah. But that's sort of the nature of drama, and some of it's not going to work as well as others. It's work, It worked better for... The mommy issues worked better for me in Detective <laughs> Comics than the daddy issues did over in The Flash this week. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. It can't be good. <laughs> Here's what it says. You're an imbecile. <laughs> Get your shit together, people. Yes, life sucks. Have a beer. <laughs> right now? All right. This has been episode... Of- <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that was my book of the week. Yours was what, Rick and Morty? Yes. Do we want to start doing book of the week as a thing? Mm-hmm. Each of us pick one. Okay. Even if we just talk about it briefly. I, I like that plan. Okay. It's a good plan. I'll forget, because okay. I'm going to go have a beer. You should. <laughs> You've earned it. I'm going to have some whiskey. All right. Fucking A, Because I've earned it. <laughs> Two I'm the... worth it. There you... Yes, you are. All right. So we got anything else, or should we wrap it up? I think we should wrap it up. All right. I don't know where you found this particular episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, we are on Facebook. Uh, we can certainly get messages to us there. God knows I have not been doing nearly as much there, but we'll get back to it. Uh, Facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. We're on Tumblr, crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. You can find this show on iTunes. If that's how you'd like to get your podcast, you can put your subscription through there. Also, if you get a minute, uh, do us a favor. Give us a rating. Give us a review. It helps new people find the show. Uh, where else are we? We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn Radio. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Yes. And you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. They miss anything? I, I always feel like everything. I missed something. No, I think you got it. I feel it. like there's some outlet out there that's like, son of a bitch. If he doesn't mention us this week, that'll be the one where all our listeners <laughs> come through. <laughs> But uh, all right, maybe not. Either way, fuck it. This is uh, this has been what episode one forty eight of the Crisis on Infinite Live Show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. My name is Hiro Nakamura. I'm from the future, and I have a message for you. Oh, I wish I was dead. <laughs> <laughs> Meant to do that last week. Of course. <laughs>